Well, we're continuing uh, as we have been uh, in our study on Hebrews 11. Uh, and we've been looking at this, this word, this phrase, by faith. And last week we talked about this fact that, that Abram left by faith to go to a land in which God would show him. That he moved by faith. And I was thinking about Andy and Rachel's story as they were sharing that, that their story involved moving, obviously, to a place that they did not know. And then coming back and waiting and then moving again to another place that, that all of life is, is by faith. And last week we talked about Abram moving to a place in which God would show him. But today we're going to continue to talk about Abram and Sarah's life. And in a particular part of their faith, there's not the moving, but it's the waiting. It's the waiting by faith. Now, we got the kids in here. I'm really happy y'all are in here. It's really fun. I want to hear from you guys a little bit. Um, Who in here, what kids in here um, does not like waiting? Anyone? I see some adults' hands up. That's good. Uh, Me too. Um, Okay, what do you not like waiting for, kids? You can talk back to me. Amusement park rides. rides. Very good. I don't like waiting for that either. Very good. What else? Getting a new Lego set, waiting to get a new Lego set. Good. What else? Waiting to have a play date. Waiting to have a play date. Right. Is, it, is Friday ever going to come? Right. Very good. What else? Ice cream. Waiting for ice cream. <laughs> to snacks. Yes, exactly. Now all of us are kind of hungry and our, our stomachs are growling. Very good. So why do you not like waiting? Kids? It's boring. Exactly. It's boring. It's frustrating. It's, it feels like a waste of time. And I think the reality is all the adults in here are like, yay, men. You know, <laughs> we kind of feel the same way about when it comes to waiting. And yet there's something about waiting by faith that I think is especially impactful for us. And I don't know which one's harder. Moving by faith, leaving a place where you're comfortable, leaving a place that you've known your whole life, like Abraham did when God said, I'm going to take you to a land to which I will show you. Not even telling him what land it is. Or waiting. Waiting for God to fulfill something that he's promised or waiting that maybe God might give that thing that we want or that we hope for. Now, the story of Abraham, his story starts with God coming and saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a nation that will be blessed in order to be a blessing to all other nations on the face of the earth. In order for that to happen, Abraham has to have a child. But here's the problem. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have no children. Not only do they not have any children, but now they are very old. They are, as we heard in the passage, I love the way Harrison and Ellie read it, that Abraham is as good as dead. (laughs) Which, by the way, that's not a phrase to use about your grandparents or anyone else who might have gray hair. Um, As good as dead. So not only are they as good as dead, not only are they old, but even when they were young, they were not able to have children. And so... Abraham and Sarah have a problem. There's a promise that God has given to say that a nation will come from you, which means you will have children, but they do not have children. And so what does Sarah do? Sarah comes up with a plan. She says, you know what? I can't have children. But after about 10 years of being in the land, she says, I've got an idea. I will let you have an additional wife, Hagar, who's one of my Egyptian servants, and you will marry her and she will give you a child. And so that's what they do. And so Abraham and Hagar have a child, Ishmael. Ishmael. 
And so for Sarai, she says, okay, I just am assuming that this is good. I've got this down. I have, um, I've accomplished the promise that God has done because I took it into my own hands. But God comes a few years after Ishmael is born and he says this. Look at with me at Genesis 17. If you're a Bible, you can turn there. I'll have it on the screen as well. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. It may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Now, this is the first time in the Bible and the first time in Genesis that God uses this name of himself, God Almighty. This name means God is the one who can do all things. He is the one who can supply abundantly. He is God Almighty, which means nothing is outside of his realm, even things that seem impossible. And so when he shows up, he says, I'm God Almighty. He's about to do something that only God can do. And he changes his name from Abram, which means father, likely connected more to his line with his father, Terah. But he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. So instead of looking back to his father, this new name is looking forward. It says, now I'm naming you Abraham because I'm about what is about to happen, keeping this promise that he will be the father of the multitudes. Now he jumps down, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as far as Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah's name shall, Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And so God comes in and he says, you're going to change Sarai's name too. Sarai will now be Sarah. And that's a, it's a subtle difference, but the name means princess, that she will be the one who will be the mother to kings, nations, future multitudes. And so how does Abraham respond? He falls over laughing. He falls over laughing at this ridiculous idea that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman would have a child when they've never been able to have a child. Now, this is a strange thing that happens in this whole story. Laughter keeps coming up. I don't know about you, but waiting and laughter don't tend to go together very often for me. I'm never kind of like on the phone with tech support saying, just laughing. <laughs> Maybe you'll get to my call at some point. But what kind of laugh is this? This laugh is a laugh of doubt. It's a cynical laugh. It's a laugh that says, no way. This is ridiculous. That's the laugh. And so he, his first response is to laugh. Look at verse 18. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying, look, <laughs> I get that you want to do this miraculous thing. That's silly. I already have a son, Ishmael. Make the promise through Ishmael. This will just, this is, I can make this expedient for you. I can take this on. I can make sure your promises come through and we already have a son. Notice what he says, verse 19. God said, no, but Sarah, 
your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now, does anyone know what the name Isaac means? Yes. Yeah. It means laughter. So laughter is coming up again. Okay, so now every time I say the word Isaac in the rest of the sermon, I want to hear the most obnoxious, boisterous laugh that you can do. So we're going to practice, okay, kids? And adults, we need you two in this, okay? Okay, Isaac. That was awesome. I, can't, I don't know that we can beat that. So the, word, the name Isaac, there you go. The first one was better. Uh, but the name Isaac means laughter. It means laughter. So this child that you are going to have is going to be this constant reminder that you laughed. But even more than that, it's going to be this constant reminder that God can do amazing things. Now, so Abraham laughs, and then he says, let me just take my own way. Now, look, let's look and see what Sarah does here in Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. They have made that point over and over again. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Just like Abraham, Sarah laughs at this. She laughs at this promise. Now, she says, am I really going to be 90 years old and now have the pleasure of having a child? Which tells us something about Sarah, that Sarah has desired for probably 90 years, this desire to have a child to be a mother. Probably grew up as a child uh, uh, thinking about being a mother and then through her young ages was not able to have a child with Abraham. And now she's 90. She says, now? Now there will be the pleasure of being a mom? It's this cynical laugh. And so Abraham and Sarah, they both do two things when it comes to responding to God and when it comes to waiting for God. One, they attempt to accomplish it without God. Let's just figure out this more expedient way to do this. And if we're honest, we, we can probably resonate with that a little bit. I'm waiting on this thing and it's just not happening. It's not happening. I'll tell you what, I'll just take it into my own control and I'll make sure it comes together the way I want it to come together. And secondly, they, all, they both laughed in doubt. Both of them struggled with this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's the question that God asks. It's a question for us today as well. Do we believe that anything is too hard for the Lord? That's right. I wonder how we respond when our faith requires us to wait. Do we simply laugh with a cynical laugh, like a bit of a, yeah, right. 
Do we take it into our own hands? Try to take control of the situation to make it happen for us? Now, as a reminder, this is a very specific promise to a very specific couple that is going to have a child of the promise, Isaac. And this, there you go, thank you. A couple of you remembered. Uh, very good. So this is a very specific promise. Now, for all of us, we have the promises of God that have been fulfilled and ones that still await. But we have to recognize as we read this text that some of the things that we might desire may not have been promised to us. And so we can't necessarily say, just like Abraham and Sarah did, that we wait for this or that we hope in the fact that God will fulfill it. Because the reality is that may not be God's will for us. Maybe we're waiting for something very specific, like to meet someone and to get married. Or we're waiting very specific to have a child. Or we're waiting very specifically maybe for, for a disease to be healed this side of heaven. Or maybe we're waiting for a really hard situation that's been a long time to work out. Or we're waiting to be reconciled to a family member that, that has just been hard. And honestly, it just kind of seems impossible. We probably say, it would just pff, it'll never happen. Or maybe we're waiting to be healed from a silent addiction. Or we're waiting to be healed or for, from something that maybe we've really never told anyone about. Or maybe we're waiting for that next thing or to hear back from that person on this thing. What, maybe we're specifically waiting for something. Or maybe it's just this general sense of, of, of just waiting to see what God's going to do. I think we have to live in this tension when it comes to waiting by faith. One is living in the reality that God may not give us what we wait for and what we long for this side of heaven. Maybe it isn't his will. Maybe it isn't his best for now. So we live in the tension of that, but we also live in the tension the same time not losing heart. That just because God has not done it yet doesn't mean that he won't do it. Sarah had to wait 90 years something she thought was impossible. I can tell you story after story of people speaking specifically about reconciliation where people said, I will never reconcile. This person and me will never reconcile. And then decades later, God does something and restores that relationship. This tension of knowing that maybe God won't do that this side of heaven but also not losing heart, not laughing with this cynical laugh that arose at our faith that says, God can't do that. But instead saying, nothing is impossible for the Lord. Waiting um, for many of us is that kind of silent pain. Sometimes we can't explain it or we don't really know what to say about it or, or, or we don't really bring it up because we're like, oh, I don't know if that's God's will. And, and yet I think God wants to meet us in our waiting because he wants us to trust in him even while we wait. Hebrews tells us that even though Sarah laughed cynically, even though Sarah tried to do it on her own, even though Abraham laughed cynically, even though Abraham tried to do it on his own, they believed. By faith, she believed that God could do it. And notice what happens. Genesis 21. The promise is fulfilled. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. 
Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. That, that was fantastic. Uh, and Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he, uh, oh, I almost got, I almost snuck that one by you, when he was eight days old, and God has commanded him, as God has commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. <laughs> and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, to Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God fulfilled the promise. But notice, laughter again. This time, it's not the cynical, doubtful laugh. It is this laugh of like, God can do all things. The only response is to laugh at amazement and wonder of what God has done. I love this theme of laughter that we see all the way through. That now, Sarah, an older lady, as she said here, and she takes this baby, and she holds this infant, and as that infant grows up into a, a, a little boy, that name means laughter. Everyone who would see it, everyone who would see him would say, oh, God can do incredible things. For waiting for something specific. For hoping in God for something specific. Are we cynically laughing in doubt? Letting that just erode our faith? We're just trying to take control of it, like I'll just grip it and do it myself. Are we taking this waiting by faith that Abraham and Sarah show us with their own bumbles along the way. They show us this waiting by faith that believes that God can do all things and that in that, they laugh with joy. It's a laughter of faith. But the question I think is still there. What's the point of waiting by faith? I mean, all of a sudden, it's just boring and waste. It's a waste of time. It's pointless to wait. What's God's point in waiting? Well, in Hebrews 11, as we read the first part, the author of Hebrews goes on. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, the author of Hebrews is telling us that, that faith, when it comes to in, in waiting, requires a perspective, a perspective that is far greater than right now. Because maybe many of us are waiting for something specific. We're waiting to hear back or we're waiting for something that we were really hoping for. We're waiting for something now. But the answer to this question in Hebrews 11, it's not receiving that which we wait for or hope for in this life. In fact, Abraham and Sarah, they really died before they saw their descendants like the stars. They died before they saw the fact that they would become a nation who would be blessed to bless others. That's what Hebrews is saying. They trusted in something they couldn't see. So their waiting actually pointed them to something greater. 
And what does he say? It's to that heavenly city. It's to that greater heavenly city, this hope that we have in Christ. You see, this perspective of faith is desiring something that we all wait and long for. Because what we know about this heavenly city is that all disease will be healed. All sin will be gone. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more waiting. Can I get an amen from the kids on that one? God will provide abundantly and he will fulfill all of his promises when Jesus returns to make all things new. For all of us who have faith in Jesus, what we really long for, what we really wait for, is that heavenly city when all things are made new. You see, I think when we wait now for whatever that thing is that's in our life, it's meant to point us to what we truly long for and desire and the ultimate fulfillment of all promises when Jesus returns. And so this promise to, to for Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac is not just a promise for Abraham and, and, Isaac, and Sarah. It's not just a promise for them. And in fact, it's not just an example of a, of a way to trust God as you wait. It is that. But it's so much more than that because the fulfillment of Isaac is actually the fulfillment of the promise. And that through Isaac, eventually comes the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the answer to this promise that was made and the covenant that was made. That Jesus who became man fully God, fully man, died on the cross for us, for our sins, rose from the dead, and will return so that, all the way back to Abram Abram in Genesis 12, every nation could be blessed. It's you and me. That we receive the blessing of salvation because of Jesus. And so, ultimately, this promise that is fulfilled in the Son for Abraham and Sarah actually leads to the fulfillment of every thing we long for and wait for. Every hurt we have, every fear we have, every pain is ultimately answered in Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross and what he will do when he returns. For those of us who believe in this, we await a heavenly city. For those of us who are are a little unsure, where I'm I'm not sure what I think about faith or not sure what I think about Jesus and them coming, then I, I want us to at least consider, ponder maybe for a moment this Quote, that's a very famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He says that if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. At least ponder, is it possible that all the longings, all the hurt, all the fears, all the waiting now is meant to point to what God will ultimately fulfill in a new heavens, in a new earth, a better heavenly city. So as we wait, maybe it's for something specific. We don't laugh cynically. We don't try to take control of it. We trust, we wait by faith, knowing that even if that thing that we wait for doesn't happen this side of heaven, all will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for this story that builds our faith. We thank you that we can resonate with 
the humanity of Abram and Sarah to try to figure out themselves or to laugh in doubt. But Lord, would you shift the way we think about waiting? That while we wait now, would you point us forward to what we ultimately wait and long for? Your son's return and the new heavens and new earth. I pray that we would be like Hebrews 11, those ones that desire a greater and heavenly city and that that perspective changes how we see now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.